Well, hello there, team. Wade Skalski here, problem solver, playwright, and founder of Clear the Field. Today's episode is this, The Wyatt Earp Effect and Survivor Bias. Sit back and relax and enjoy episode 4A, The Reset. So, today we're talking about the Wyatt Earp Effect. And this is, we'll talk about that first and then we'll talk about survivor bias. But... The Wyatt Earp effect has always really interested me because it's been a fear of mine uh, ever since I started down this self-improvement journey. So let me give you some backstory. So uh, about 10, 11 years ago, I uh, encountered an individual who has since kind of become my mentor. And at that time, he personified uh, what Russell Brunson calls uh, the attractive character, right? Which is you've seen this in advertising. You've seen this in any type of organization that anyone's trying to get you to do anything. Uh, that there is a central character, a leader character, who is attractive for some reason. And that person then uh, will reveal to you, sometimes they'll do it with possessions, here are my houses, here are my cars, here's all the money I make, I know what I'm doing, you should follow me, okay? You'll see this a lot in MLMs, uh, multi-level, which I am, I have no problem with as long as you understand what they are. Uh, but... Um, that that is rampant there because it's the idea of look what I've accomplished and you can have the same thing come work with us okay but you'll also have that in uh, businesses as well so when they're tr people are trying to attract um, talent in businesses you'll see kind of a var variant of that where they're recruiting them they're showing them look uh, for for the legal field this is a great great concept where you know, the, you'll bring your law students in for the year two for the summer and they will just pound them with, uh, dinners and they'll pound them with like going out for drinks and all of these shows and they won't work as hard as they're going to work. And then they get there to work there and they're like, wait a second, where'd all the dinners go? Well, the dinners are still there. You just don't have time to do them as a one, as a first year, uh, law, um, as a first year in the firm because you're working your ass off. So the, 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 Attractive character is a tried and true method for attracting people into any kind of organization. So, and we do this also with our sports heroes. So, if your son or daughter sees, let's say that they see Brandy Chastain, your daughter is like, I want to play soccer, okay? Or they see your son sees Tom Brady and he wants to play football, or pick swimming because both genders do swimming if you get caught up in a, in a, a gender bias problem. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, pick swimming. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, you know, is it Nancy Hogshead or uh, Michael Phelps? Okay. So your kids, they see those people and like, I want to do that. So the attractive character is a very powerful, a very powerful person, a very powerful thing that can impact your life. The problem with the attractive character is number one is you only see the success. Okay. And so what the Wyatt Earp effect basically says is that it's a statistical concept that if you have enough people trying to do something it is statistically certain that unlikely events will will happen but those events are are have no predictive value at all okay so the reason is is that Wyatt Earp made it through his entire career as a lawman tons of gunfights and never got shot all right so the issue with that is that you're like Wyatt Earp must have been the toughest guy in the history of time and because there is a name given to you with a person and a story. You're like, I could be that tough. If I was in the Wild West, I'd be Wyatt Earp. If I was Tom Brady, if I would play football, I can go be Tom Brady, right? So, but the 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 challenge is, is that out of, I don't know, let's say there's twenty thousand 
tough guys, right? You had to have a certain level of toughness. You had to know how to use a gun. You had to live in the Wild West in that time. And you had to be okay with shooting people, right? Those are sort of the, the factors for, for the minimum that you had to be for, to be Wyatt Earp. Take 10,000 of those guys, run them through the Wild West for 10 years, and one of them will a- arrive alive or unshot. And that's Wyatt Earp. But you can still have, you could be just as tough as Wyatt Earp. You could be just as good as a gun with him, and you could be just as willing to shoot people. And statistically, it's a really bad game to play. You're not going to make it because there can be only one. It's like Neo. There can be only one, okay? Or that's, uh, the, sorry, Highlander. I was mixing my movies. Uh, so there can be only one from Highlander. A great movie. Go see it. And um, so that's the the, jan- the danger of the attractive personality is uh, the attractive character is that what if that is the white herb? You don't see the, the t- 20,000 people that got eaten up by the system that they're in. Acting is like this. Creative projects are like this. Like if you think about statistically the number of people who try to be Tom Cruise, it's, it's staggering because every year another group of people gets off the bus from wherever they are. And they, they're like, I'm going to be Tom Cruise and I'm going to make it. And I'm not telling you not to do that. No way, shape, or form am I saying don't do that. I did that. I came to California to work on my creative projects to try to be a writer, okay? And that ended up with me create going to creating Clear the Field and becoming a playwright. So I'm 100% and getting on the bus and going to where you want to go. Just do it with your eyes open and understand that your dream is not enough. Your passion is not enough. Just like Wyatt Earp, you have to have skills to even be in the game. If you can't fire a gun, if you're not tough, if you're uh, you know, in any of those situations where you don't meet the criteria, you don't even, you're not even playing the same game. You don't even give yourself a shot. You're not even in the, you know, you don't even give yourself a shot to win. So if you understand the Wyatt Earp effect and then you say, okay, I'm, I choose to do this on purpose. I'm going to put myself in the grinder. I know the chances of success are low, but I have to do this. So that's number one. You want to run away to the circus. If you have, you know, if you're going to run away to the circus, just know it's a tough life in the circus. Like, accept that. Do your research first. Number two, then, is identify the skills that you need. Okay. And number three is understand that just because there is a Tom Cruise doesn't mean that you can become a Tom Cruise because you don't know the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people and the thousands and thousands and the millions of interactions that had to occur in that system to create Tom Cruise. You need to create yourself in a certain way. That's number one. And then number two, there's the issue of what's called survivor bias. So survivor bias is that someone goes through the process or a process. And then once they get out of the process, they effectively say, all right, well, I'm going to view the way that I did it as the only way to do it, and that's what I'm going to teach. So the the deadliest of com- the deadliest of combinations is the wide Earp effect coupled with survivor bias, because then what happens is is that there's a wide Earp who thinks that he did it because of the only specific way that he did it, and he's it has no predictive value of success. It's just that he's part of the numbers, and so he made it. It could have been anybody anybody. He just happened to be the guy, and that the way that he did it is is how it is the only way to do it and he teaches that to people and that's deadly because then you're you're there's no way you're going to make it then because number one is his you know other than the basic skills of being able to shoot a gun uh, and being tough let's say that wider i don't know he had something where he's like i took a bath every day whatever it is i don't know whatever and so he's like you have to take a bath every day he attributes these these habits that he has to tell you how he became wider that have no bearing at all so there's no predictive value of the wide air effect and there's no no sort of impact value for how he got there and those two things together are deadly when you try to teach those to people so 
That's why with Clear the Field, I'm like, look, we're, we're constantly about review and assess and course correct because there are things about my environment that aren't going to apply to you, okay? So I can't really teach you do this in your environment because you're a totally different person than I am. I'm an extreme extrovert. I have a very low conscientiousness that I have to always be working on. I have discipline problems up the wazoo. And so I have to adopt systems for myself that other people may not have to. So if I try to say this is the only way to do it, then I'm building in weakness in people. Instead of saying, like, look, you got to figure yourself out. you got to figure out where you are, what skills you need. Like, I have skills that you may already have. I don't have skills that you may already have. So you don't need to learn certain things that I have to, that I take for granted because you don't need them. So the issue and the reset that I want to talk about today is with regards to is whenever you're looking at anything that involves a mentor, this is really like a mentor, mentee kind of situation. Anytime that you're looking to follow somebody, okay? Number one, ask yourself, all right, is this person presenting themselves as an attractive character, right? I, I do that in the way of not in terms of my cars and my boats and all that, which I don't really have boats and, and I don't have, I have two cars. I have a Ford F-150 and a Honda. So I don't present myself as an attractive character in that space. I present clear the field as an attractive character because I know that it will create a space for you to be able to make decisions and get what you want, okay? And then uh, I also know that clear the field is not the only way to do it. So clear the field is going to appeal to some people and to other people it's not. And so I know it's not a good fit for some people and, I, and I'm looking for the people where it's a good fit and can help them like me because it helped me. So I'm an attractive character in the sense of that this process helped me and I know the process can work for you because the process isn't specific to me. The process is you create it specific to you through the review and the course correct and the reset part of it. So I, so question one is, is this person presenting themselves as an attractive character? And that's okay, right? And then you say, all right, well then, is this person where they are because it's a wide Earp situation? Did they, is it just the numbers, the sheer numbers got them there? And, and there are certain situations where that will be true because what if what if someone made it and just because they're in a good environment because and they're smart and they had the like the one skill set that they needed okay you don't have any of those you're in the wrong environment right like I live in Los Angeles there's 22 million people here so if I'm trying to teach you about you know a prospecting business where you go talk to people on the street you know, 10, 12 people a day on the street. Well, that works in Los Angeles because there's 22 million people. But if you live in a small town in the Midwest, it's not going to work for you because you know everyone and then you're done in five seconds, all right? So there may be an environment challenge for them. Uh, and then the second issue is, is that they have one skill that works in the environment that they're in for the certain system that they're in. And you don't have any of that. So that, you know, that, that could be a wider effect than that. Is that. And then the second thing is survivor bias. And then they're like, well, Talking to 10 to 12 people on the street every single day is the only way that you can do it. Well, no, that's not true. There's, there's always more than one way to achieve anything. There are rules, like you create the universe of your system that you're trying to create, and you have to operate within that universe. But the universes are almost always pretty big, and you want to have a big universe because you want to have a lot of wiggle in what you're trying to do. So question number one is when you're resetting on this is if you're going to you know, follow somebody is one is, is are they presenting themselves as an attractive character? Beware. Two, is this person there because it's a wider orb effect? Is this person interchangeable? Meaning, is there anything unique about this person? Or there are you know, 10,000 of these people and this just happened to be the guy that made it. And then three is be aware of survivor bias. Anyone that says that this is the only way to do it in terms of the actual tactical ways to do it, be wary of that, okay? Now, for strategy, 
there, I believe that clear the field is a way to do it. There are other ways to do it, and it is a good way to do it. But tactically, I don't care how you achieve what you achieve as long as it's legal, moral, and ethical. Okay, I don't care. As long as you don't screw people over, as long as you're honest, as long as you, uh, it's legal, then then do whatever tactics that you want. There's there's you know your environment where you're at is going to dictate some of that as well. Some things will work on the East Coast better than they work on the West Coast. So the the issue then becomes. Uh, you know, we want to have a process that allows us to take a look at what has worked and what hasn't worked. Course correct, reset, go again. And that's effectively what Clear the Field does. Is it first step is reset. All right, where are we at in our mindset? What are we trying to accomplish? Then it's uh, reframe, which is like, okay, so I'm going in a different direction. What's that direction? What does that entail? Restart, go in that direction. You pick a length of time and you don't revisit it until that length of time is done. And then you do a review. Then you go, okay, what worked, what didn't work. And then, oh, there you are again, reset, and you repeat. And the skill in Clear the Field, so it sounds so simple, yes. But the skill in Clear the Field comes from assessment. At each level, your assessment will be better of where you're at and how to do it. And then the length of time that you need before you go through the review process. So, you know, we'll go more over this when we get into the specifics, but. That's just a process. That's a general process that can apply to anyone and anyone can use, but the tactics themselves can, it doesn't matter to me because everyone's going to also have different goals as well. So the, the, the reset that I want you to think of is just because you see Tom Brady, just because you see, uh, you know, Tom Cruise, I'm going Tom's right now, Tom Jones, right? Well, Tom's do I know Tom Hardy. Um, that doesn't mean anything. Okay. That's a starting point. All right. And then you just run it through the, all right, is this person an attractive character because they know what they're talking about? Or is it because the wider effect and is what they're telling me to do because they know what they're talking about? Or is it because it's survivor bias and they're telling me all tactical and tactical may not work in my situation. And that's, that's sort of a reset because it's super, super easy to just select someone and be like, I'm going to do what that person did. And then, you know, run around with a chicken with their head cut off. And then you're surprised is why it didn't work. You want to make sure that you understand the game you're playing. You want to understand you know, effectively who you're following and is what they're teaching you a process strategy or is it tactics? And if it's tactics, will those tactics work in your environment? And if they don't, then you may need to think about doing something else. So that's the reset for Wyatt Earp and survivor bias. And I'll leave you with one story, which is to help kind of run this through. So everybody knows who Bill Gates is, right? So Bill Gates is this, like the smartest guy in the world. They're like, Oh, he's a genius, whatever. And he would have been successful wherever he was. Yes, that's true. All right. But when Bill Gates was young, uh, he had access to, I can't remember if it was at a university or a library. I think it was university. He had access to a computer when he was super, super, super young and he got computer time so that he could explore uh, that part of his life that he was interested in. Now, that was back when computers were not ubiquitous. You actually had to go to a university or something like that. So if you take Bill Gates and you put him in North Dakota where there is no computer like he had at that time, he doesn't become Bill Gates in the same way. He doesn't, it's the environment and the timing and all that don't come together. And there are a thousand guys, maybe a hundred, okay? I don't know, 10. It doesn't matter. There are a bunch of guys that were the same age, the same level intellect, the same interest in computers, but did not have access to a computer in their environment. And so they couldn't have become Bill Gates because they didn't meet the criteria. Just like in Wyatt Earp, they didn't, weren't willing to kill people. So I was like, okay, didn't meet the criteria. That's the challenge that when you're evaluating people and to follow them and what they're telling you that you have to run things through so that you're doing it with your eyes wide open. And then at least you know what's happening and you can make a good decision. And that's what all, you know, that's what all of Clear the Field is about is making good decisions every day, every hour.
point yourself upward and you'll get to where you want to go. So that's our sort of reset for the wide Earp and survivor bias. This concludes episode 4A, the reset for survivor bias and the wide Earp effect. And remember, there is no end if you stay on the path. Well, hello there, team. Wade Skalski here, problem solver, playwright, and founder of Clear the Field. Today is episode 4B, the reframe of the wide Earp effect and survivor bias. We are mobile today. I'm on the road. It's my wife's birthday today. So uh, when I get done with my morning appointments, I will be in birthday festivities. So I am not going to have a chance to sit down in front of my Yeti microphone. So we are doing the Apple AirPods in the Ford F-150 on the way to one of my appointments. So reframe. So, okay, we talked about the wide air effect, about how, oops, it's going to be a car accident. All right, that was exciting. We almost had a car, our first car accident on uh, on our podcast. Interesting. So somebody was not paying attention and almost crashed into the rear of someone in the other lane. All right, so back to the reframe. I'm going to reframe myself on this podcast. So reframe wide herb effect survivor bias. Now, the wide herb effect effectively is, is that if you get enough people and you run them through a situation, something improbable will happen, and it's not statistically, uh, it's not a good statistic predictor. And so if you're going to select someone that's in a system of some kind, and you're like, I'm going to be that person, doing what they did won't necessarily get you what they got, because it's it's a gamble, depending upon how many people it took to get that one person. So that's the issue number one to be aware of. And then issue number two is survivor bias, is that the worst thing that could happen then is that that person, who is a beneficiary of the white herb effect, tells other people and teaches other people and tries to mentor them on, you have to do this to be successful. Uh, and those, the things that are, the tactical things are telling them aren't going to get them there because they have nothing to do with mindset, skill set, environment, and, or the white air perfect. So that's sort of in a nutshell, the reset of what we talked about yesterday. So what's the reframe? Well, you want to have, uh, an, I, when you're picking someone, you know, I think of two people that I think about in terms of if I was going to teach me something and they're very disparate people. It's Mark Jackson and Polly Shore. Okay. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Polly Shore first. So Polly Shore was very famous comedian, still famous people. You probably know who he is, but he was, he was everywhere in the nineties. Like he was on MTV every day. And back in the day, MTV you know, if you were, you know, like Carson Daly, MTV, all that, if you were on MTV, you were dominating the space because there was only, that was the biggest thing on cable. And then the, there's the internet really was in its infancy. And so it was really in the traditional, if you're on, you know, the only way to mass market yourself was on TV and, and MTV was the, was the mass market machine for the best demographic you can have, which is the young demographic who just spend all their money on silly things. Right. So, um, you know, Polly Shore was in movies, you know, he did like, he did Biodome, which is almost, I mean, I, I don't, my, my best friend, Scott loves Polly Shore, like thinks he's hilarious. I don't really find him funny uh, very often. Um, you know, I listened to him on Joe Rogan's podcast and I thought he was really good on that. You know, I mean, he's older now and he has all the experience and, and he was, he was very real on that podcast. And so I, he seemed to me sort of to be, I enjoyed getting to know him a little bit better as much as you can get to know someone on the podcast, haha, uh, like me on this podcast. But the, the issue for him was, is that let's say that Paul Shore wants to teach you how to be a comedian. Okay. And so he definitely has 
he definitely has things he could teach you, right? So like from his stand-up, he can teach you the tactics of stand-up, all right? For sure. And he can probably teach you about movies. But here's the thing about Polly Shore that a lot of people don't, don't know. So one, I've already talked about the environment, all right? So once he was able to leverage into MTV, he owned that environment because that was, that was the only place to go mass market back in the day, basically, for that demographic before the internet, okay? Because you obviously, he wasn't doing... He wasn't doing the weasel on ABC, okay? So he got into MTV, and there's only like, you know, what, 10, 20 slots on MTV, and there's only, on hosting slots, there's maybe five, okay? So, and people are still writing, like, Kennedy has a show on Fox. I don't know if she still has a show on Fox, but she, she this is 20 years ago, and Kennedy still is in the, is in the, in the media market from stuff she did at MTV a million years ago, right? So once you get to that level, you can ride that for a long time, Um but, you know, so number one, his environment was much different. It's kind of like the Bill Gates problem, whereas, you know, Bill Gates had could only go to could only go to um, the university to, to get computer time because there was one computer and you had to be able to, to buy time on it. It's like telescopes now where you know, to look at things in space like you have to. It's very hard to get telescope time. Back then, it was very hard to get computer time. So so Polly Shore was was in the arena whereas once he got an MTV in that environment that he was set from for, for a certain area right well how did he get to MTV well one he lived in Los Angeles okay so um he's actually from Los Angeles and two people don't know this his mom owns the comedy store or owned the comedy store I don't know if she still does but so when Polly Shore was young like 13 14 years old he was a like a short order cook in the kitchen for one of the comedy store locations. Cause there's a one that's, I think now closed like an Encino or something, whatever. So think about that for a second. One, he's in Los Angeles Two, He was able, he, his mom owned the comedy store. So he's around comedy from the time he's one years old, whatever. And yeah, I think his dad was a comedian and a vaudeville and stuff like that. And, and, um, I don't know if it was vaudeville, but something, you know, traveling, doing something in comedy and the show business. And then, and then he's around comics all the time. So from some, it, from the time it was like being a bat, like kids who get to be a bat boy. You'll hear about MLB players who were like got somehow got to be a bat boy for a major league team. Like you're around it, and so you're like, okay, I can do this because I'm seeing it done and I'm in it. So, so number one, that's a mindset advantage that nobody that grew up in North Dakota has or grows up in Nebraska or even grows up in like the South. Okay, so number one, that's he has that. Number two, his mom has connections. So, and this is not don't don't mistake this podcast for a I'm begging on Polly Shore for maxing out his connections or that or any kind of like comedy privilege situation. I'm not that guy. I'm not doing that. Okay. I'm only saying good for him. I'm actually happy that he got to take advantage of those things because we all have advantages. Okay. We may, we have different advantages from other people, but trust me, you have an advantage over other people growing up and I don't care. I don't care who you are. Right. You have advantages. And if you don't think you do, you just haven't done the work to get the perspective on them. So, um, number one, you were born in America. So if you're American, you're listening to this. Every human being born in America has the most gigantic advantage in the history of time. If you make thirty thousand dollars a year or more, you're in the one percent of the world. So everyone has advantages. So I'm not I'm not hazing Polly Shore about having you know advantages starting on third base in the comedy world. I'm not doing that. But what I am saying is that if Polly Shore was to be your teacher or your mentor and he was to try to teach you the tactical side of it, he can't really teach you. He can teach you how to be a stand up comic, but he can't really teach you how to break break through the comedy world through experience because he didn't do it necessarily 
the way that someone who came from off the boat in Nebraska how to do it, how to do it, right? There's two different paths for those two people. So he, you know, he, I'm sure he has some things to teach you about connections and how important they are and networking and blah, 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 blah. But he never experienced it the same way that someone who knew no one that got here and did it that way. Both paths are valid. Both will work. But if he's, if Polly Shore is trying to t- teach you, okay, here's how you do it. And you got to be wary of that. So that's just an example. Okay. That's a Wyatt Earp example. All right. Now, the other issue is Mark Jackson. Let's talk about Mark Jackson. So Mark Jackson is, uh, I think he went to St. John's. He's a, he's a former pro basketball player, former NBA coach, and now he's an, an announcer, right? Now, Mark Jackson was, was a good NBA player, but he was not Isaiah Thomas. He was not, and, and point guards go, he was not like as athletically gifted as some of the, the, the people in the point guards, but, but he did learn the craft of being a point guard. And so he had to do it the hard way. He had to max out his talent by maxing out his, his, his mastering his craft because he couldn't, he couldn't just talent his way to the basket. Like he couldn't just athletically get to the basket. He actually had to learn his craft as a point guard and he got amazing at it. So why was that important and a benefit for him? Well, fast forward when he gets the Golden State job, coaching job, right? Now this is, everybody knows who Golden State is now, dynasty, whatever. But when Mark Jackson went to Mark, to Golden State, they sucked. Okay, they were they were not good. And Steph Curry was not the MVP. Steph Curry was was getting hurt all the time, and he was like a good player, and he was like on a really crappy contract. One of the reasons why Golden State is so good is and they can afford to do what they're doing is because they got Steph Curry on like like a really crappy contract because he was not the Steph Curry that you know now back then. So anyway, I don't want to delve into salary cap. Uh, NBA salary cap vagaries because I don't know any of it. I just know enough to get to talk in a bar or over a beer. But um, the issue with Mark Jackson is so when he was a player, he had to max out his craft because he didn't have the advantages of athletic advantages. Okay, he also went to St. John's, I believe, for uh, his basketball. So he didn't come from a basketball powerhouse, although St. John's was decent in the I think it's in the Big East back then. It was okay, and uh, this is the extent of my NBA knowledge. And the issue for him was is that because he learned all of the craft of being a point guard and being a guard, when he got to Golden State, he could teach people with supreme elite level talent like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. He could teach them. And before they got good, he came out with a quote and he said, I believe that Steph Curry and Klay Thompson could be the best backcourt to ever play in the NBA. And everyone laughed at him. They were like, that's silly. That's impossible. That's stupid. And the reason that Mark Jackson said that was because Mark Jackson mastered his craft. And if you take someone with supreme talent and you get them to master the craft and put those two things together, then that's how you become the best ever. Okay. Because you're, you're mastering a craft will take you as far as your talents will take you, but mastering a craft will always get you at least to like good to great. Right. But, but to be elite and world-class, you have to have some level of talent in what you're doing. Okay. In my opinion. And so, but Mark Jackson said that and people scoffed at him. They're like, you are, you are crazy. And I remember I heard him say that. I was like, that's crazy. That's Golden State. They're terrible. Like whatever. Now, Steph Curry is the best point guard, scoring point guard possibly ever. He's the best pure shooter for sure. Right. And so, and the the thing is when you're looking at someone to be a mentor and a coach and, and, and then you want someone like Mark Jackson, who, who didn't do it only on talent because you can't really teach talent, okay? But you can teach a craft. So that's issue number one. 
Issue number two is what people also, you may or may not know, is that Steve Kerr then took over Golden State, Mark Jackson got fired, and then Steve Kerr took them to where they are now. But Mark Jackson laid the groundwork for basically the championships. And Steve Kerr in that first championship talked a lot about the job that Mark, you know, Coach Jackson had done and that it was amazing because he laid the, he laid the foundational, um, he laid the foundational work for, for the um, amazing excellence. And that's what you want in a mentor or a coach. You've got to be like, okay, where am I now? What are the foundational issues that are, I need to solve? And who can I go to to solve those issues? And then I can at least get a space to make some decisions. I want to be Mark Jackson for you, okay? Clear The purpose of Clear the Field is to be Mark Jackson for people. It's like, let me give you a system of productivity, a system to, to interpret your goals and targets, and then get good at that system. And then you can decide, all right, what specific coaches do I need for what I'm trying to accomplish? Because I can't, I can't coach you on if you wanted to be, like, let's say you wanted to go um, – I don't know, be an elite level CrossFit person. I, I don't, you know, I went to a CrossFit gym once for like three days and I was like, this is too intense for me. I can't, I can't do this. I'm going to stick with the five K's and, and kind of pushing some weights around. That's it. That's, uh, that's just too intense for me. That's just not me. Right. So, but what I can do is I can give you the system to get you to get in the habits of working out and then to review what you're doing. And then once you have a foundational set of like, okay, I feel good. Where do I, how do I make the leap? Then you go find a specific coach you find a specific coach to help you make that leap, but you don't even know if you, the word, one of the most challenging things you do is just pick CrossFit out of thin air and say, I'm going to go get good at CrossFit. There are a million ways for you to work out and you, what you want to do, you only have a limited amount of time. And so what you want to do is you want to do the work in your working papers and, you know, dabble here, dabble there, figure out what it is that you want to do and then pick your coach, your next set of coaching. So, that, cause that's what I did to become a playwright. Like I, I, I wrote a really bad novel where one of the lines is, thank God I can fly a helicopter. And I, I read that and I was like, mm, maybe novel writing is not for me. And then I did, a, you know, I wrote a, a bunch of television screen, uh, uh, spec scripts and those are fun and those are close to plays. I was like, ah. it's kind of, it's, I don't necessarily like doing other people's characters and you're stuck with the same characters forever. I like a little more variety, but I'm close. And then I did a, you know, I did the one man show and I was like, okay, this is cool. It's kind of comedy. I don't know if I want to do comedy, but I like making people laugh with jokes, but I also like saying something. Oh, well, what about plays and playwright? And so then I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then I can select my playwright coaching, right? So that's that's what Clear the Field did for me. It's, it allowed me to have a process to, uh, to go through, to, to, to review things, go in a different direction, and then stop. And then like, all right, is this the direction that I want to go, okay? And to do it quickly, and so I can make those pivots and do them fast. So I want to be Mark Jackson for you. I want, you know, I want to put you in a position to where you're like, okay, we have a base level. I have a base level of what I'm doing. I have a base level idea of what direction I want to go. And now I got to find the exact right coach to do that with. And that's not going to be me. Okay. Because I'm not teaching playwriting because I don't, that's, that's my other area. And I don't, I'm not good enough at it yet to do that, but I can teach you, I can teach you a belief system. I can teach you a strategy for how to operate for goals and targets and to create mental environmental space for yourself to get what you want. And then you can start to figure that out for yourself and then you can pick your own coaching. So, you know, that's how you avoid the white herb effect. That's how you avoid uh, survivor bias, because I'm not telling you that clear the field is the only way to do it because I'm not giving you necessarily the tactical aspects for your life. I'm giving you the strategy. And then you fit the tactical in there to fit your environment, mindset, and skill set. So, so that's effectively 
the reframe is that what I want you to understand is that when you're looking for a coach, you want to look for a Mark Jackson type right now. If you don't know exactly what you're doing, if you don't know what your sacred mission is and you don't know what your unicorn mission is and, and you can, can survive attacks both internally and externally, then you've got some work to do. And so don't go run out and be like, well, I, I think it would be great to, I don't know, to, to be an Ironman. Like, yes, I'm sure being an Ironman would be great. But the commitment to being like a lot of people, they'll go and they'll do an Ironman and then they'll never do another triathlon. Like I did a sprint triathlon. I was like, that was fun. I enjoyed it. Not for me. Okay. So, but I got the experience of doing it in a low stakes game. Right. And then you can eliminate it and go on to the next thing. And you don't spend, you don't spend six months working out for an Ironman um, and then go from there. So you don't want to have my skeleton racing experience for sure. So, so that's the reframe of the episode four B Polly Shore, uh, Polly Shore versus Mike ja- uh, Mark Jackson, and remember, the path the path never ends. I don't have it written down. I'm about to screw this up. It never ends if you stay on the path. Ah, uh, it never ends if you stay on the path. See, I gotta get my own catchphrase for the end. It never ends. You gotta say it seriously now. It never ends if you stay on the path. Well, hello there, team. Wade Skalski here, problem solver, playwright, and founder of Clear the Field. Today's episode is this, episode four, the restart for the Wyatt Earp effect and survivor bias. So you're like, Wade, yes, I believe you that the Wyatt Earp effect can be real. I agree with you that sometimes some people have survivor bias when they're giving me advice. I agree with you that there are Mark Jackson coaches and Polly Shore coaches. What do I do now? Well, the first thing that you do is you get out your working papers on paper on purpose. You'll hear me say that 5,000 times. And you define where you are, okay? And there are three areas that people typically are in. They're in triage, they're in waiting, and they're in creating. So let's talk about triage first. Triage is the idea that you are just basically putting a finger in the dike, right? You like you like the water's coming over the dike, your whole life is getting flooded, and then you kind of patch it up, and then it happens again. So, <clears throat> oh, I need a cough button, man. I guess I have a mute button on this thing. wasn't fast enough for the mute button. Too slow. The uh, so triage is the idea that that you keep having repetitive the same problems. Okay, like this could be a medical issue, this could be financial issue, this could be a relational issue, relational relationship issue, and so if you're in triage mode, you've got to fix, you've got to get a, a sort of a triage coach. It doesn't do you any good to have sort of a high level, ma- you know, macro coach on something if you're having completely having micro problems because you're gonna, your micro problems are going to keep jamming you up and you're not going to be able to absorb what the person can be the best person in the world for business relationships or creative projects. But that person, uh, if, if one of those areas is your triage, pro- isn't your triage problem, then you're never going to get there. So, and we'll talk more about this in the ABC problem, but the, which is a future podcast, but the issue with regards to triage is that you're, your ability to focus on new things and on creating new things and getting coached is completely affected by what's happening outside that area in your basic areas of life. So if you keep getting crushed by things and you keep trying to redo them and fix them and then they happen again, you got to fix a triage problem first. It's a very different type of coach. All right. So that's issue number one. You ask yourself, do I keep having repetitive problems? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you need to get a coach in that area and don't even go forward to the sort of the higher level areas of things that you're trying to accomplish. You've got to fix your foundation first. Now, waiting is an interesting is an interesting place. Some people will be in waiting, right? So people will come out of triage, they'll, they'll fix whatever it is, and then they'll just kind of wait 
and they'll say like, well, I'm going to, you know, the perfect opportunity is going to come along. I'm going to react to it. And I just read a quote. I'm reading a book right now, rereading a book right now called The One Thing, which I highly recommend. It's on the reading list once I get that together. And the guy in there, he talks about something called the clarifying question, which isn't which isn't uh, relevant in terms of uh, this conversation, but it is relevant in terms of uh, some planning that you know you'll doing. I highly recommend that you look at it. But right before he talks about the clarifying question, he says, "Life is the question, and how you live it is the answer." And this actually had a, a really profound effect on me because I used to wait around a lot, and so what I would do is I was I would wait for opportunities opportunities would come into my life and I would convert them or I wouldn't and then I would wait again and then if I had an issue where I had a deadline on something then I would move more into creation mode once the dead the time deadline became uh, sufficient enough to move me okay so I would ping pong back and forth between triage my life is on fire I would fix it then I would wait for opportunities I would convert the opportunities or I wouldn't as long as they, you know, whatever, however they would come in. But then if I had a deadline on something, then that would motivate me to go into creation mode. And then once I solved that deadline problem, I would go back to waiting or I would fall back into triage depending upon what was happening. So this is ping pong situation where you're going back and forth. And so people will do it in maybe their life is totally together, right? Maybe your life is totally together. Maybe the bills get paid on time. You know, your wife and kids, everything's going okay with them or great. Maybe, you know, you're, you got a hobby, everything's great, but you're just kind of waiting for something to show up. And what I would suggest to you is that you get out your journal or your working papers and you think about that, that, that question I just gave you or that statement I just gave you, which is life is the question and how you live it is the answer. And if that's true, then you get to pick what you do. Right. So if you have, you know, if you're trying to decide between two things, like let's say you're like, should we move to a different city or should we stay? Well, you know, they're both legal, moral, and ethical, so there's no issue, and you know, in terms of they're they're not one of them is not clearly bad for you, but you're not sure what to do, right? Well, sometimes the answer is there is no right answer. There's no book that you're living by in terms of that everything is spelled out for you that you're trying to match, right? Like, you know, there's no there's no perfect Wade out there that if he, he gives handles everything perfectly that you're trying to emulate, that's actually, you know, I have agency. I get to pick what I want to do. So if I have two equal choices, or at least they're moderately equal, or even if one of them is in the short term not as good, but in the long term better, I get to pick. And so sometimes just the act of choosing is the answer to life's question. So waiting never serves you unless it's tactically done on per unless you're doing it for a strategy reason on purpose. You know something's not ripe. You're waiting for something to mature, and you're like, okay, I need more time. I need to respect the sort of the gestational period of of what's happening here. But but if you're just waiting for something to show up or somebody to show up and motivate you. Uh, what if they don't ever show up, all right? If you're waiting for someone to save you, what if they never show up? And, you know, most people that show up to save you, you don't want them to try to save you anyway. That's not the type of person typically that you're going to want. So so waiting is, is kind of a, your whole life can pass you by while you're waiting, right? So we don't want to ping pong back and forth in waiting. And then there's creating, right? So you're actually actively creating something. And in that space, if it's you're creating a business, you're creating a new relationship or strengthening a relationship or you're you're doing a creative project, then that's when your sort of high level coaching is critical because that can really compress time frames for you. So the first thing you got to do is figure out where you are and, uh, you know, are you paying for coaching right now? You, you really do get what you pay for. If you pay for something, then you will be more invested in it and you will pay more attention to it and you will bring your full self to it, especially if you pay a lot for something. So this really impacted me in my business when I was trying to set my pricing for certain things. And I, and I realized that, you know, there's no competitive advantage to being the second lowest price. 
So if you can't be the lowest price in the market, then you got to be a higher price. And the reason is, and first of all, competing on price is silly. I, I try not to do it. And, and the, the reason for that is because, and we'll go into this in a future in a business situation, is that your clients that will let you get when you compete on price are not the most fun clients to be dealing with for your whole life. And they're not as invested in it as you are. And that's a crazy thing. Like, you've got to be an active participant in your own survival. And if I'm more invested in you than you're invested in you, then there's a problem. And so, and if you have like a really low price on the service, then someone can just take it for granted, especially if you do things for free. I never do things for free anymore. An older attorney told me this and he said, don't ever do anything for free for your friends and family. And he was so right because every time that I ever did anything for free, it was a total disaster. I mean, it just, it just, the universe just likes to laugh and punish you in those situations. So, you know, are you paying for coaching? Pay for coaching. I, I don't care who it is. Pay for coaching. Even if it's a little bit, find somebody and pay them. And you will be shocked about how fast you can compress time frames and how fast you actually pay attention. The other issue is, um, you know, do you have mentors right now? Do you have someone that's mentoring you you know someone that has more experience than you in an industry so or or in some area of life that you need mentoring and do you ha even have a mentor right now is that an is that an objective of yours and you know is your is, is your are you relying upon your family for coaching okay so my i'll give you an example and this is a personal example so my parents are amazing right my dad didn't go to college he built a successful construction business outstanding businessman okay Never taught me anything about business other than by example, though. All right. But his example is pretty amazing. You know, my mom, she is a very smart person. She's in Mensa. You know, she's like, you have to score on a genius level and an IQ test to get into Mensa. So she's really, really smart. But they, their advice to me in terms of their, their, you know, my dad never really pushed us to go into business with him, which would have been interesting. But my mom's and dad's advice always to me is like, go be a doctor or a lawyer. Because in their generation, if you were a doctor or a lawyer, you were set, right? And so I went and I was like, I don't really like math and science right now, so I'm going to go be a lawyer and that will solve all my problems. Well, the challenge is going to be a lawyer. That advice is not great advice because it's, it's, it's something that is a result of their generation and of a time that doesn't exist anymore. And neither of them are lawyers. So my son or my daughter, if either of them wanted to go to law school, I'd be like, don't do it. Unless you have like an extreme passion for the law, like if you read the law there's so many other better ways to go into business for yourself or make money or do other things because you know or whatever and, and and not because i'm necessarily jaded from the legal profession i'm not it's an honorable pro profession but it's not what you would not it's not what i would send them to do in terms of if you don't know what to do and you're smart and you just want to go make money it wouldn't be being a lawyer just the the cost is too much in terms of the investment for that so, uh, but if they love the law, then yeah, absolutely, one million percent. If they want, my daughter wants to be like an environmental lawyer or something, and she decides that she wants to do that, yeah, amazing, awesome, totally support it. But you know, I but I would do the same thing my parents would do is I would say, okay, go into AI, right? That would well, that's what I would tell my kids is like go into AI and learn Mandarin Chinese. Okay, well, when while we were kids, our parents would say go be a lawyer and learn Russian, right? So the advice that I give my kids is going to be totally wrong. Right, because I'm giving them generational advice of what I see 20 years into the future. And if I, if they ask me what I think they should do, and I was going to give them advice like my parents, that's what I would say. I would say go into AI and learn Mandarin Chinese. Now, but that's not what I'm going to say. Given what I learned, I, you know, I'm going to run them through the clear the field process. I'm like, let's discover what it is that you want to do. Well, let's discover what your sacred mission is. Let's discover what your unicorn mission is. So. That, you know, that's a thing of if your family's a strong influence on you and they're giving you advice, remember there's a generational difference. They can't, 
it's not their fault, you know, unless they're in an industry that is still competitive and still working properly and can be leveraged and it's something that you want to do, then yeah, listen to your parents, right? Or if there's, you know, your dad's and mom's a business person and they want to give you, you know, teach you about business. Great. Awesome. But like that wasn't a situation with my parents. They just would give me a general cultural idea, like go be a doctor or a lawyer, which is very middle class, you know, which is, you know, the parents are middle class, a very middle class idea. Like that's the definition of success. And it turned out to be like really, really, really bad advice in one sense and really, really like worked out in another sense because, you know, there's no losing, only learning. So anyways, and I wouldn't be here talking to you if I was madly successful, you know, in terms of the legal profession, if I would have loved it, I'd be like, oh, being a lawyer is the best. So, but it's not really for, it's not really in terms of what I thought it was. And and I had to craft something that was for me. That's, you know, my sacred mission in terms of clear the field, helping people in post-conviction and helping people that are in, um, that aren't in main, in triage as much as, as they're in maintenance, okay? So, you know, that's the issue with regards to when you're tackling, you know, are you being coached by your parents? So that's, you may want to put that in your working papers and figure that out. So, and then the other thing is, is like, look, like, I like to break, I like to give creative, creative field examples to kind of bring things home. So let's say that you want to be a writer, okay? And like, I want to be a published novelist. I want to make money as a novelist. I'm like, okay. So the other thing that you can do to get started is, Learn the numbers for your industry. Like, figure it out. Like, what does the average person make in your industry? How many people are successful? And, like, being a novelist, that sounds awesome. I'm a good writer. So here's the numbers that, as, as I understand them for, uh, let me pull these numbers up here. Oh, I just used the cough button. Amazing. It's actually a mute button, but I'm going to put a little sticky on here and rename it the cough button. So there were a million books published in English last year, in the English-speaking books, there's a million of them. 500 of the million books sold more than 40,000 copies. I want you to think about that for a second, okay? Uh, 500 out of a million published books sold over 40,000 copies. That means 900, I was told there was no math today on this podcast, that means 900,000, 999,000 500 books sold under 40,000, not very profitable. And that's published books. What about all the books that got written but didn't get published? Maybe What is that, 10 times as many, like 10 million books, right? So if you're going to bet your whole life on being a novelist, you better have an engine that allows you to be free with what you write. Because your dream, not enough. It's not. You've got to have every single skill to give yourself a fighting chance, and you've got to have an engine that allows you to actually work free from financial concerns because you will not write the next American novel if you're broke. There's a reason, like Hemingway was part of the group of the expatriates, and they moved to Paris. Do you know why they moved to Paris? The expats and that whole, like, so romantic thing? Because it was less expensive to live there. Ernest Hemingway, one of the most famous people in the history of time, was like, as a writer, moved to Paris one, to experience it because it was so cheap. There, he was with the expats and everybody else was so cheap to live there. So that's an engine of sorts. And you've got to figure something like that out for yourself. And, and that's part of what Clear the Field does is like, look, is, is any creative endeavor that you do, you have to have the ability to self-produce or self-fund yourself or, or at least build your life in a way that gives you the time to work on your creative projects free from monetary concerns. Okay. So you know, know the number for a restart in this, know the numbers in your business, right? Because if you know the numbers in your business, then when someone starts to tell you how they did it, it will immediately give you a frame that you can judge them by, right? Because if someone says, oh, I just did my dream and I, I wanted it more than anybody else. No, that's not true because there's, 
there's a million, you know, there's nine hundred thousand other people that wanted it just as much as they did, and, and for whatever reason, it didn't work out. Okay, and so you've gotta you've gotta know the numbers for your your business. And if it's a bit like if a creative business, or if it's a regular business, or even like relationships, like if you're trying to improve your marriage, like what percentage of marriages get divorced? Where you live, like what percentage? You know, how long have you been married? What are what are the, some of the problems that your marriage has? And then find the appropriate coach and use the numbers that you know. So that's the restart issue. So kind of re, re uh, recap the restart is that look, figure out where you are, pay for coaching, and get your working papers out and run everyone through this idea of, all right, so what is, what exactly is it? Is this, is it survivor bias? Is it, if I'm getting coached by my family, is it a generational advice? It's not, that's not relevant now. Is that what I really want to do? Um, and you know, figure out where you are in terms of, are you in triage? Are you waiting around, uh, for an opportunity to come by or are you in create mode? And if you're in create mode, then, Make sure to examine the coach that you're thinking about getting. So that's the re that's the restart section of episode four. C wider perfect and survivor bias. And remember, there is no end if you stay in the path. Well, hello there, team. Wade Skalski here, problem solver, playwright, and founder of Clear the Field. Today's episode is this. The review of this week, episode four, The Wide Earp Effect and Survivor Bias. So uh, first thing I want to talk about is that the survivor bias topic, I kind of just kind of glossed over it a little bit, as well as, you know, wide Earp's pretty simple, um, you know, and you can go pretty deep on these. But what I wanted to do is I just wanted to make you aware of the possibility that these things exist, because that's to get you thinking like ultimately you're going to be responsible for how these things are going to land, how these things are going to impact you in your life. And, and they may not be impacting you at all there. You may not be, you know, you may be surrounded by people who don't fit the bill of survivor bias or the wider effect. But my whole job is to basically, and, and the, the job of clear the field is to be a pattern interrupter. Okay. So you're have a certain patterns in your life that are getting you certain results. And what I want to do is introduce a process for you that interrupts those results and those patterns that you have. And then you have to figure out, all right, am I getting the results that I want? And is what I'm doing working? But you interrupt that pattern a lot. Like it's, you do a review and you like, I do a review of this podcast once a week. Okay. And so in the, the review process is critical because I, I'm already bet one, I'm already better at it than I was, you know, when I started doing the, the four weeks ago. Uh, doing, you know, putting the clearly filled process in the actual podcast itself and breaking it up into into bits, uh, into uh, little bits. Two is that I've already fleshed things out for myself and discovered things that are going to go into clear the field. Some things are going to be taken out, and that's it's an organic process because truth needs to be discovered and it needs to be remembered. And I don't, you know, everything that I have is going to be continue to get better. It's always going to be better for the person who listens to this podcast six months from now than the person who listens to it today. And the reason is, is because I'm constantly working on making it better. But the only way that I do that is, is constantly, constantly, constantly interrupting the pattern, interrupting the pattern. And so these things aren't necessarily going to be going to be totally exhaustive for you in terms of you're going to know everything about survivor bias, but it's going to introduce to you the fact that, oh, there is something called survivor bias. And maybe I should do some exploration of that myself in my working papers. Uh, Cause there's a thing called Google where you can find out anything. I don't know if you knew that or not. So that's issue number one is that I just wanted to clarify that issue. Number two is I did a quote 
where I, I'll say it a lot, where I said you have to be an active participant in your own survival, but I didn't give any attribution for that quote. And that's, that's from a book by Pat Riley, whose title I can't remember that I read a hundred years ago, but every once in a while, something will stand out in a book and it will stick with me. And, and that, that exact sentence, I wanted to make sure that I gave attribution to that book. It's to Pat Riley. So that way I'm, I'm, I'm clear on that. The other issue I want to talk about a little bit was I have made references in, in this week. I was talking about, you know, my NBA statistics and I could talk about it over a beer in a bar. Uh, I don't actually drink now. And I, I had a, a 20 year uh, carnival ride with beer and uh, margaritas, which are delicious. And uh, right now I'm not drinking. I've stopped drinking. And that the reason why I say that is because I know that part of the people that I help and clear the field are are out of out of sort of the triage mode of addiction and they're in the maintenance mode. And I don't want anything that I say to sound like, oh, it's awesome to go talk, you know, talk about stats at a bar or whatever. And it's their responsibility to figure that out for themselves. But but, you know, I wanted to be clear and honest that I'm not drinking right now. So when I make references to that, it's sort of references to things in my old life because sometimes they're funny and and sometimes they're sad. So. Uh, I, I had a drink named after me at a, at a, at a bar because I went there so many times and, and ordered the same thing so many times. And I thought that was really cool back in the day. And that's actually not that cool. So, uh, you know, those are learning experiences for me and, and the perspective I have is a lot different. And, you know, I know that the relationship with alcohol for everyone is different and some people can have a healthy relationship with it and some people can't. And that's something that in my life I've always explored, but I wanted to be honest with people that that's not, you know, I'm not trying to sound cool. If I, if I bring a reference up to that, because I'm going to clear that up right now, I definitely have been uncool and uh, a majority of the errors in my life in terms of that I have made can be directly, uh, a line can be directly drawn to sort of that lifestyle for me. And, um, it was, that lifestyle wasn't working and I did a whole one man show about it. So, so that's, that's something I wanted to clear up on that. Okay. Now, some other issues as well is that, uh, I wanted to also reemphasize on the, first of all, I spelled it Paulette Shore. I guess that autocorrect, but it's a Paulette Shore on the title. So I got to clear that. I clean that up. Uh, I am digging the, the sort of the title, the, the title structure that I've settled on. So where it's the, the number dot and then the you know a b c a b c or d then a dash then it will say okay it's the review of or the restart of capital letter dash and then the title without quotes capitals like a title so uh that i picked that obviously i gotta know how i sign off my sign off catchphrase which is um there is no end if you stay on the path because i was struggling with that on what i had i'm in my four different 50 now and i had to go make sure i memorized it because uh, I was struggling with that when I didn't have it in front of me, but, uh, and I do like the mix between mobile and, uh, doing it, uh, doing it at, in my office, because sometimes like today's not a good day. I'm just not going to make it in terms of, if I didn't do it right now, mobily in the, in the, in Ajax, my, my, my Ford F-150 with, uh, if you, if you don't name your cars, you should just, so that's, that one's for free, not part of clear the field. That's just a Wade suggestion. Um, you know, name your car. And the reason is, is that when you are playing the can I make it game with your gas, you want to talk to your car with its name and it will respect you and increase the chances of that you're going to make it. So name your car. My Ford F-150's name is Ajax. Our Honda's name is Beatrix. And that's basically sort of their, their little extensions of our family. So it's Wade, Kristen, Madeline, Luke are the two parents and two children, Lily the dog, Ajax the Ford F-150, and Beatrix the Honda Accord. So that's our family. We take care of them. 
uh, as the best that we can with self-care and maintenance. So uh, name your cars. That one's for free. The, the, other, the other challenge, too, is that I was thinking about this, is that it's, these are tough things. If you're involved with someone that has helped you and that you have gotten results from, it's very difficult to evaluate that person. And the reason is, is because that coach or mentor can always fall back on, I have more experience than you. And so these things that you're feeling can be explained in this way. And there will always be an explanation that makes sense based upon what they're doing because that's their job. But you, you want to get to a point where you are not dependent upon anyone in terms of your agency. You do not want to give your power and agency away to anyone. And people are to assist you in what you're trying to accomplish. You're supposed to work together. A coach is not, a coach is not uh, you know, the, the old school Bear Bryant. The coach is the authority no matter what. That doesn't work anymore for many different reasons. One, but that's, it's you are working together and there's an agreement where it's like, I will follow you. You're going to help me. And, but you're going to help me assist me with my goals. And the agreement is, is that you're not going to take advantage of that. And I'm going to listen to you. And that's actually an incredibly difficult thing to accomplish as a coach. It's incredibly difficult to not leverage your authority to make things easier because sometimes it's just, people are tired. They don't want to have a collision on something. They don't want to collide with someone on something. It's just easier to say, it's like when you're a parent and, and your child asks you, well, why do I have to do that? And you can just say, I said so. Well, you're relying upon your authority instead of persuading them uh, as to why that's a good idea for them. And then, you know, do you want your kids to trust you in terms of that you have their best interest in mind and that there's a reason for what you do? And if you, the more you can explain to them the reasons and make them understand and kids speak, the, the less pushback that you have and the less times you have to use your authority. Now, sometimes you have to use your authority no matter what, because your kids are immature and all of that. But, but the same way with coaching, it's like you want to be able to make sure your people understand and are feel safe with what you're trying to coach them through so that when there is something that collides with them and interrupts a pattern that is sacred to that person, uh, that you can start to sort of chip away at it. And that's why the, the whole purpose of the clear the field process has nothing to do with me. The whole purpose of the clear the field process, and that's the whole purpose of the wide Earp and survivor bias coach, this podcast this week is to be like, look, You've got to be aware of the attractive character. You've got to be aware of, of falling in line with people and then giving, seeding your agency to them and just accept, accepting their authority. Like you're an adult. Okay. If you're not an adult yet, you're going to be an adult. So uh, everyone here is an adult or on the path of becoming an adult. I don't know if I have any minors listening to the show, but if I do, uh, you know, stay in school. So, but the ultimate goal of the, the clear, the, the uh, field method, the clear, the field process is to turn you into your own coach, and then you go, you outsource and delegate things you need to learn because it takes a long time to learn things on your own. Like if you were to get a, you wanted to learn karate and you wanted to get a book on karate, um, you could learn it now, but it's going to take you a long time. And then it's, it's when you you're get into a fight and you use it, you're going to learn it even some more, right? So getting a coach, you know, the term sensei, it only means someone who's gone before, just someone someone has more experience than you. It's not, there. there's a quote that, that, that you know, uh, I wrote down once during my meditation, which is that uh, people are neither God, people are neither gods nor monsters. They are me. And what that just means is, is that you may attribute 
godlike powers to someone. You know, people get starstruck by people all the time. And if you were to meet, I use Tom Brady as an example, just because he's going to the Super Bowl for the ninth time. And hate hate the Patriots, love the Patriots. I don't really care about the Patriots. I care about excellence. I think that's something that they have a system of that's amazing. And then people will say, oh, well, they cheat. Yeah, okay, I get it. Like, it's, there's bumps and bumps and bruises. Whatever. Just this, the overall concept is what I'm talking about. Let's not get embroiled in in your Cleveland Browns. So I'm a, I'm a Washington Redskins fan, which gives me a moral dilemma all the time. But I have to explain, yes, my team is, is uh, some people have a problem with their name and I get it and it's not politically correct. And so then I'm like, oh, well, should I, should I call them the Washington football team? And it's so I, you know, everyone, every 31 teams, I have to go through that. I have to go to that, but I, they're my team. Like I, that's who I root for. I mean, I was born in DC. I went to law school in DC. My wife is from Virginia beach. She was born in DC. Uh, so uh, how did I get on the Washington Redskins uh, topic? Anyways, that's my football team. Uh, and uh, I totally lost my train of thought right there because I got embroiled in a PC conversation with myself. I was like, oh, should I just... So anyways, but my point... my Oh, that's right. The God, people are, are neither godlike or, or, or monsters. And so... But they're me, meaning that they're humans, that they're capable of both, obviously, you know, but at the end of the day is is that they they always come back, hopefully, to being human. And so you cannot attribute... Uh, those characteristics to people all the time. And you you cannot just give away your power as a human being to someone because you have the uh, you have the choice to be godlike or a monster. That's your choice. That's the character that you have to develop. And that's what the, you know, life is a question. And you, you, how you live it is the answer. You have to give that answer. You can't give that to someone else. And if you give that to a coach, you can always blame the coach if it doesn't work. You can always say, oh, well, I did what they said and it didn't work and my failures are their fault. No. You're the, the, one of the core principles of clear the field is you are hundred percent responsible for your life, but wait, there are these, these negative things that are happening to me. And, and, and yes, I 100% understand everyone has negative things that happen to them. Yeah. But wait, I've been so unlucky. Yes. And at the end of the day, you can go through the whole processes of I'm, I'm unlucky and this horrible things has happened to me. But at the end of the day, when you work through all those emotions, you're still at a place where your life is determined. Your results are determined by your actions. And so you can give that up. To, to the events that happen to you, or you can take your agency and you can do the best that you can with the hand that you're dealt. You know, there's a, there's a quote by Voltaire, which says that it talks about the hand that you're dealt. And it's like, you know, we're all, you know, you, everyone's dealt a hand and then life is how you play that hand. Uh, you know, Jim Rohn says there's the set, you know, everyone has bad weather in their life, but it's the set of the sale that determines how they go. Everyone, you know, has, it rains on them, it pours on them, whatever. Everyone has, has problems. But the set of the sale is is where you go. So this this the review part of this that I want to bring up some more with the coaching is that the, the worst thing you can do is give up your agency to someone um, because you you're smart enough to figure this out, okay, for you. And in fact, a coach cannot give you all of the answers. They can only give you a process that will help you discover the answers yourself. And when you discover those answers yourself, you go from belief to knowing, and then you're unstoppable. Because then it doesn't really matter what happens to you because you're like, ah, oh, this sucks. Like, yeah, you, you gain knowledge. When I was in, the, in, in legal proceedings to get evicted, I was like, man, this really is not great. Uh, I'm not enjoying this at all. But I know that the process that I do for productivity and my life and dealing with issues was going to get me out of it. And it did. And even if it didn't get me out of it right away, I know that over time that the next five to 10 years is inevitable that I will get what I want or close to it. And my dreams are big enough that even if I miss by half, we're doing awesome. And, and so that's the one thing that I want to make sure that you understand from the wider perfect survivor bias is there is no perfect coach. There is no one that you can just give your 
give your agency and authority over to and just hope it works out because if it doesn't, you can blame them then. You are 100% responsible for what happens in your life. And you have the time that you have to play the cards that you have and your character is going to be defined by how you do that. And, you know, coaches are there to help you to work with you. They're not there to work above you and to, to sort of like, you know, give manna from heaven and, and, and save you. Like, that's not, that's not what you want. You, you don't want to be saved. You want to save yourself. So that's the review for the wide ERP effect and survivor bias. And remember, there is no end if you stay on the path.